Chapter 5 of Haworths. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeffrey Wilson, Ames, Iowa. Haworths by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Chapter 5 the beginning of a friendship. The next morning, when he appeared at the works, Murdoch found he had to make his way through a group of the hands which some sufficiently powerful motive had gathered together. Which group greeted his appearance with signs of interest? There he is, he heard them say. And then a gentleman of leisure, who was an outsider leaning against the wall, enjoying the solace of a short pipe, exerted himself to look round and add his comment. Well, he remarked, he may have done it, and I would not stick out as he did not. But if it were not for the circumstantial evidence, I would not have believed it. Floxham met him at the entrance with a message. Haworth's sent for thee, he said. Where is he? Coolly enough under the circumstances. The engineer chuckled in sly exultation. He's in the office. He did not say note about giving thee the bag, but thou may as well make up thy mind to it. Thou wert pretty cheeky, thou knows, considering he were the mister. Look here, with some heat, do you mean to say you think I was in the wrong? Am I to let the fellow insult me and not resent it? Touch me with his foot as if I were a dog? Thou art particular, my lad, dryly, and that does not know as much of the mister kind as most folk. But the next instant he flung down the tool he held in his hand. Dom thee, he cried. I like thy pluck. Stick to it, lad. Misters or no misters. As Murdoch crossed the threshold of his room, Jem Haworth turned in his seat and greeted him with a short nod not altogether combative. Then he leaned forward with his arms upon the table before him. Sit down, he said. I'd like to take a look at the chap who thought he could thrash Jem Haworth. But Murdoch did not obey him. I suppose you have something to say to me, he said, as you sent for me. He did not receive the answer he was prepared for. Jem Haworth burst into a loud laugh. By George, you're a plucky chap, he said, if you are an American. Murdoch's blood rose again. Say what you have to say, he demanded. I can guess what it is, but let me tell you, I should do the same thing again. It was no fault of mine that I was in your path. If I'd been such a fool as not to see that, put in Haworth, with a smile grimmer than before, do you think I couldn't have smashed every bone in your body? 
Then Murdoch comprehended how matters were to stand between them. Get in the bag, asked Floxham when he went back to his work. No. The not with animation. Well, dang me! At the close of the day, as they were preparing to leave their work, Haworth presented himself in the engine room, looking perhaps a trifle awkward. See here, he said to Murdoch, I've heard something today, as I've missed hearing before somehow. The inventing chap was your father. Yes. He stood in an uneasy attitude, looking out of the window as if he half expected to see the frail, tall figure again. I saw him once, poor chap, he said, and he stuck to me somehow. I'd meant to stand by him if he'd come here. I'd have liked to do him a good turn. He turned to Murdoch suddenly and with a hint of embarrassment in his offhand air. Come up and have dinner with me, he said. It's devilish dull spending a chap's nights in a big place like mine. Come up with me now. The visit was scarcely to Murdoch's taste, but it was easier to accept than to refuse. He had seen the house often, and had felt some slight curiosity as to its inside appearance. There was only one other house in Broxton which approached it in size and splendor, and this stood empty at present, its owner being abroad. Broxton itself was a sharp and dingy little town, whose inhabitants were mostly foundry hands. It had grown up around the works and increased with them. It had a small railway station, two or three public houses much patronized, and wore, somehow, an air of being utterly unconnected with the outside world which much belied it. Motives of utility, a desire to be on the spot, and a general disregard for unbusiness-like attractions had led Haworth to build his house on the outskirts of the town. When I want a spree, he had said, I can go to Manchester or London, and I'm not particular about the rest on it. I want to be nigh the place. It was a big house and a handsome one. It was one of the expressions of the man's success, and his pride was involved in it. He spent money on it lavishly, and, having completed it, went to live a desolate life among its grandeurs. The inhabitants of the surrounding villages, which were simple and agricultural, regarded Broxton with frank distaste and Haworth's with horror. Haworth's smoke polluted their atmosphere. Haworth's hands made weekly raids upon their towns and rendered themselves obnoxious in their streets. The owner of the works, his mode of life, his defiance of opinion, and his coarse sins were supposed to be tabooed subjects. The man was ignored and left to his visitors from the larger towns. 
visitors who occasionally presented themselves to be entertained at his house in a fashion of his own, and who were a greater scandal than all the rest. They hate me, said Haworth to his visitor, as they sat down to dinner. They hate me, the devil take on. I'm not moral enough for them, not moral enough, with a shout of laughter. There was something unreal to his companion in the splendor with which the great fellow was surrounded. The table was covered with a kind of banquet. Servants moved about noiselessly as he talked and laughed. The appointments of the room were rich and in good taste. Oh, it's none of my work, he said, seeing Murdoch glance about him. I wasn't fool enough to try to do it myself. I gave it into the hands of them as knew how. He was loud-tongued and boastful, but he showed good nature enough and a rough wit, and it was also plain that he knew his own strength and weaknesses. Thirty year your father was at work on that notion of his, he said once during the evening. Murdoch made an uneasy gesture of assent. And it never came to aught. No. He died. Yes. He thrust his hands deep in his pockets and gave the young fellow a keen look. Why don't you take the thing up yourself, he said. There may be something in it, after all, and you're a long-headed chap. Murdoch started from his chair. He took an excited turn across the room before he knew what he was doing. I never will, he said. So help me God. The thing's done with and shut out of the world. When he went away, Haworth accompanied him to the door. At the threshold he turned about. How do you like the look of things? he demanded. I should be hard to please if I did not like the look of them, was the answer. Well, then, come again. You're welcome. I have it all to myself. I'm not favorite o'no with the gentry to bring any on em here. You're free to come when the fit takes you. End of chapter 5 Recording by Geoffrey Wilson, Ames, Iowa